Uh, my name is Brad. I'm one of the ministers here at the Ditton North Church. Um, if you are new with us today, then you've caught us at the very end, tail end of a sermon series on uh, the Holy Spirit. And um, as always, if you've missed some of the, uh, the sermons, you're welcome to go back onto our website and do, uh, you know, try to listen to those. Hopefully this has been an encouraging, challenging, thought-provoking, and uh, most importantly, uh, uh, motivation for you to uh, think about God in new and fresh ways and think about sort of what we're doing. In our class this morning, we asked the question, I think this is a good question for any of you if you want to take some time this week just to reflect in a devotional uh, or, you know, maybe in a conversation with someone. First question was ultimately, how has our, our sermon series changed your understanding of God? Because what we've learned about Pentecostalism and uh, the Holy Spirit, um, you know, how does it change how we uh, interact with people, particularly outside of the church? How can it afford us opportunities to really minister to people who we won't come in contact with in a building like this? And then the third one is, how does it challenge us to really um, do church differently? All right, and by church, I mean kind of our church in specific, but for those of you who are involved in other churches or will be, uh, how does it uh, really change how we think about how church should be done? Our goal is to really implement a lot more of these things in our sermon series next semester, uh, and that's going to require a lot of creativity and thoughtfulness and trying to figure out, uh, you know, where the Spirit is leading among us. So be thinking about that over the break and taking opportunities to go back and maybe reflect on so what you've learned or read a book or go back through and study all of the different scriptural references uh, that talk about the spirit of God. However, you know, you do that best, go for it. Um, next semester, we are going to, to launch a new series called The Right Reading of Scripture. And we're going to be basing that off of a number of materials. But, but one of them is a book written by Ian Proven called The Reformation, The Right Reading of Scripture. Some of you really asked to know a little bit more about church history and how church history has impacted our views of scripture. And so the main point of this sermon series is for all of us to be re-engaged with reading the scripture. We're gonna do two different classes, one on devotionals, uh, one on actually studying the scripture. Uh, and so that's gonna really be our focus. I know some of you have uh, done the Bible project this uh, last year. And if you, you know, wanna follow along uh, through that, we're not gonna really be necessarily taking one particular book or passage. We're really just gonna be kind of reading uh, or talking through how do we approach the scripture? As a lot of young people, we have a lot of sources for our faith. And unfortunately, we've uh, been a part of a long kind of waning influence uh, of the scripture in our lives. And there's some reasons why that is, and we'll talk about that. But a lot of us have become pretty um, ignorant of a lot of what's in the scripture. And some of that's really not our fault in terms of we try, but we just kind of don't have the basic building blocks like some of our uh, parents and their parents did on how to read scripture. And so we're going to really try to start anew and afresh and try to figure out what is it that we ought to be doing with this so-called word of God. And um, yeah, so that, that's going to be our main thing for the next semester. But as always, whenever we present these sermon series to you, if you have an idea or a thought or a problem and you say, wait, we don't need to be going in that direction. Let's go in a different direction. Please come and talk to me. I probably won't listen to you and won't obey you. Um, just kidding. I, we take your feedback incredibly uh, seriously, and that's a lot of why we've chosen this topic is because we look at 
or the staff here at our church, where we're at, what people are saying, and we want to engage what it is that, uh, that we feel like are the, uh, the expressed needs of our community. And so that's what we're going to be doing next, uh, next semester, all right? So right reading of, of Scripture, I think that's going to be pretty cool. Um, number two is, and this is totally switching gears, we, many of you know that our relationship with the MLK uh, has been a great relationship over the years, and we like to help them out from time to time, even though we're not meeting in their building anymore. Uh, next week provides an opportunity for us to do that from 10 o'clock to noon. They're going to have pictures with Santa. Mateo is going to be our Santa. Am I right? Yeah. Garvin, why are you laughing about that, man? You want to be Santa? Well, okay. All right. All right. So anyway, uh, we need some of you to volunteer to be there from 10 to noon, just sort of helping set up, uh, navigating uh, the kids through where they take pictures. There'll be some games where probably people will throw things at you, which is always fun. And um, so it's Saturday, this upcoming Saturday from 10 to noon. How many of you can attend that? Let's just, you know, go for it right now. Raise your hands nice and high. Yeah. Okay, real nice and high. Uh, Emily's going to, as best as she can, which is probably a really bad idea now that I think about it, uh, write down your names. How about this? Why don't you just tell Emily after uh, that you're going to go? Emily, will you? Well, everyone knows Emily because she was up here at first announcing things. So tell her you're going to go, okay? Or we'll put a little post on Facebook and you can uh, respond. But it sounds like, you know, about eight to ten people uh, is plenty enough, okay? Ten to twelve, yeah, ten to twelve. Pictures with Santa. Pictures with Mateo. Let's just see. You know, uh, that's pretty good. I'm excited about that. Um, so, yeah. Oh, and then my last one. This is sort of a strange announcement, uh, but whatever. And one of the things that we in our Pentecostal class in the morning, uh, I think, have come to realize from studying particularly progressive Pentecostals in global settings is just how much uh, they attempt to be a meaningful presence in people's lives in their community uh, particularly insofar as, as specific needs that people have, okay? Whether that's uh, churches in uh, Southeast Asia working with prostitutes or whether that's uh, folks in Southern Africa working with, um, you know, people who are impoverished or in Eastern Africa with AIDS epidemic, whatever it is. And so one of the real challenges with that is thinking, okay, so in our context, in the minority world, how would we do that? How, what does it look like for a church to have that kind of relationship with its local community. And I don't really know, uh, but it's something that we, I think it's time to think about. We have a lot of people and we're growing pretty quickly and uh, I want this to be a part of the DNA of our church. And so one thing that I've thought about, and maybe this is a good idea and maybe it's a bad idea, and it's probably just because I watched a documentary over the weekend. You know how we get really like passionate after we watch a documentary? We're like, feel like we know everything and we really need to tackle these issues head on. Well, um, I'd like to consider uh, us really thinking about um, trying to advocate for affordable housing in the Denton area. I noticed that um, the Denton Housing Authority, which is right across from the MLK, uh, has a great reputation and people really like them. And this is an incredibly controversial issue. And so uh, only three apartment complexes right now have uh, what are called Section 8 opportunities for people in the community. And, and I don't know where you're at on that. Maybe that's a conversation we all need to have. Sure, great. But I know one way to start that is tomorrow, and I know some of you are guys in school, and so no big deal. From 11.30 to 12.30, the city council and the Denton Housing Authority are going to get together in a joint public meeting, and you can live stream this on either one of their websites. And just to give you a little history, 
city council interests and the Denton Housing Authority interests are not overlapping. They do not like each other. They do not get along. And so this is a really great opportunity for them to be forced to work together. And so for those of you who are really interested in maybe joining with us to sort of pursue opportunities for how to really be a presence in our community, I say this is a decent issue to kind of start talking about. And so that's again tomorrow from 1130 to 1230. You can live stream this very boring public meeting. I'm sure it will be. Um, on affordable housing in Denton. And for those of you who don't know what that is, you might look at Section 8 uh, housing, you might look at HUD, uh, you know, the voucher programs and, and things like that. But basically it's the idea is that we provide housing uh, in neighborhoods uh, for people who just can't afford it. And uh, anyway, it's just a, a thought, an issue, something to raise. And uh, yeah, there you go. So there's your opportunity. And um, hopefully you'll, uh, you'll join me tomorrow in that live stream which I, again, would be so exciting. Maybe we can have a live stream watching party. Who's interested in that? A lunch and a party. City council watching party. All right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, okay. Live stream, we can fa fa face chat while we're doing it. Thanks. I'm working on it. I learned Venmo over the weekend, so I've been talking about that and referencing Venmo a lot, uh, even when it's not applicable. All right, so the next three weeks, including today, Leslie and I are attempting to go back through the sermon series and try to kind of uh, revisit ideas we felt like perhaps weren't incredibly well communicated or maybe that need to be presented again. Um, but along more general themes, each of our sermons were pretty specific. And so today I really just want to talk about awareness of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to challenge you a little bit to think about this in some different ways. And so try to bear with me. Sometimes I have a very tough time, as you know, getting what I think are uh, the thoughts that the Spirit has laid on my heart out into um, the open and in ways that make sense. My mind just mixes things up and makes things probably more complicated, but I'm going to attempt to uh, to make sense of uh, what I felt like, um, you know, I was led to, uh, to say to you this week. So uh, let me give you my long sermon title because I either have long titles or no titles. So here we go. Awareness of the Spirit starts with belief and ends with trust. So awareness of the spirit starts with belief and ends with trust. One of the really challenging ideas I gave at the very beginning of this sermon series, which I, I got a lot of feedback on, was like, what is that? And what does that mean? And why don't we talk about that? And can you explain that? Which hopefully I can, at least in part today, was the idea that the Holy Spirit constantly witnesses to our fellowship with God. Sounds like a really great idea and exciting, but a lot of you said, what does that mean? Okay, uh, I'm, I gave you three or four things that, I, that are clearly mentioned in Scripture as a role of the Holy Spirit. And the, holy, the idea of holiness, the idea of mission, all these other things, great, good, we could get it. But constantly witnessing to our fellowship with God sounds like one of those Christian phrases that makes no real sense. So let me do my best to try to break those down for you, okay? Uh, first, let me give you two passages that I'm going to kind of read over you, and then, uh, because I don't have my phone with me, because my phone is being passed around, maybe. I don't actually see the offering basket. Is it going anywhere? Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah, so my phone, like right there, as in you're pointing to it, as it, it's moving, or, oh yeah, there has it. Okay. Um, so my phone is predisposed right now. Um, so I'm going to have to assign the scriptures to you, because who brings a Bible anymore? Um, and uh, so... The first one is Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. I don't have a lot of scripture references here. 
Uh, I gotta admit, I'm listening to this Baptist preacher uh, talk about preaching in this series that the senior staff and I are doing, and um, he's got a lot to say uh, about preaching and a lot of really great uh, ideas, some of which I sometimes feel like maybe I don't think that's the way to do it, but then I also think probably I don't think it's the way to do it because I don't do it. Uh, but the, he's really big into expository preaching and the idea of preaching like one or two passages at a time. And that's just, you know, if you grew up in a Baptist church, that's just sort of how you did preaching. And while I like those ideas and I think they're important, and you'll see me starting to implement those in our, our next series, I also think it's very important that we have an ability to allow the word of God to speak outside of just one single passage. Um, because if we get too focused and stuck in one uh, we sometimes can kind of miss the forest for the trees, and we walk away having a really new and fanciful idea about a text, but not really knowing how to relate that to uh, all others. And so our goal in a lot of our preaching is to try to give you, you know, multiple texts that you can go back and think through uh, that, in a really stupid academic word, triangulate the point that we're making, which means that it comes from multiple directions showing you that this isn't just from one passage. So I got a lot of scripture today. And, uh, and so I'm going to list it for you, and then I'm going to need some of you to read some of it, okay? So the first one is Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. The second one is 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22. I'm going to read these two over you, all right? The first one, we're going to kind of start halfway through 13. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Let's just do this together. You know, we got to memorize scripture, um, particularly for some of you older people who don't teach focus on Jesus a lot. You've lost some of your ability to memorize scripture. I know I have. You're teaching focus on Jesus. You just like know those scriptures because it's like, oh, say that like 80 times, you know, uh, this semester. But as you get older and you study the Bible less with folks, um, it, you know, you just fail to kind of memorize this stuff. So let's just work on memorizing as a church. We, we might as well. So this section right here. You guys just memorize when you believed you were marked in him with the seal. Can you do that? Can you say it to yourselves right now? Say it right now. Okay. I don't think you were marked by a seal. Uh, because I mean, that would be really fun to watch on a YouTube video. But let's try this again. Maybe I, should give, maybe I gave you too much. You know what? Let's just try it again. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. And you guys, you guys got it real easy, all right? The, you ready? The promised Holy Spirit. Sorry, that really was unfair, I know. Um, uh, who, that's all you have, is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It's because you guys are the outliers. You don't want to be in the middle. I'm going to give you the hard work. If you want to just sit out on the fringes, uh, you're going to have to do more work. So let's do it. Let's read it. Go. Can you guys be louder? It sounds sad like you're, it's not a funeral. All right, one more time, quicker though, you know, like, you know.
All right, great. That's a great one. Uh, to memorize and to think through as you're leaving this uh, sermon series. Let's do this again. Uh, so for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes. Are you confused? We're playing the same game again. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes. In Christ. One more time. Excellent. He has anointed us, set his seal of ownership. On us. All right. And put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And put his spirit in our hearts. One more time. That was a little tricky. You know, rambled a little bit there at the end. And put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Okay, great. These people are going to memorize nothing. Okay. All right, let's do it the whole time. You guys had like three words. You've already forgotten them. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership. memorizing is I mean, we can't even memorize like four words uh this is really really tough all right one more time here we go <laughs> all right that was a very failed activity I went for humor instead of, uh, you know, efficacy, and uh, so that's, that happens, whatever. The point of these guys both is that God has set a seal uh, on us, this promised Holy Spirit, and it's a deposit of what's to come. I know many of you probably haven't really done a lot of deposit-type stuff or earnest money, but let's just say that as a Craigslist extraordinaire, okay, um, when someone gives me deposit money, which is usually 10%, not, win I mean, one time ever in my entire life has someone given me a deposit, and we're talking 20, 30 times, and not come and actually bought the thing that they deposited the money on. And that was because it was a friend of mine and he had some economic hardships and I gave him his money back. The point is when you put that deposit, you're always going to follow through uh, with it. How much more so when God gives us the Holy Spirit is going to do everything he said he's going to do, and the Spirit is our surety, our earnest money that he's going to accomplish that. Um, and, and this is a really kind of interesting point. Well, so let me tell you, I've, I've met a lot of celebrities because I'm pretty cool, right? Um, and by met, I literally mean I saw them eye to eye and I was like, hey. Because I'm not the kind of person that wants to go take a selfie, probably because I'm prideful, with someone 
uh, who I don't know. I just, I don't care. I'm just not, not going to do it, right? But I have. I've met a long list of celebrities, okay? Including Bruce Willis, Ja Rule, Helen Mirren. Okay, there's a long list of cool people I don't know, okay? That I've made eye contact with at one time in my life. Now, it's really weird when you see a celebrity because I don't know what that feeling is, but it's just like, I don't know what it is. I can't describe it exactly. It's just a strange feeling you get when you're around someone who you know a lot of people have seen, and it's like they become kind of real to you all of a sudden. Now, I don't know what it is, okay? I, I don't know. And I'm not someone who really cares a lot about pop culture or about that kind of thing. Like, maybe some of you are like, just that's the greatest thing. But um, I'm still amazed when I uh, meet a celebrity, okay? But I guarantee you, if you were to go and ask those celebrities, sort of like, hey, do you remember when that guy made eye contact with you in the Virgin Airlines, uh, you know, suite? That was cool, right? They would not remember. I'm imagining, okay? Right? Yeah, you'd agree? Probably don't remember me, right? I mean, unless I was doing something really, absolutely, that's a little too strong, Danielle. I mean, okay. Uh, so the point is that there's no real reciprocity there. Now, let's just assume that I had a really great conversation. Like, for instance, with the guy who's Prince Humperdinck from uh, uh, Princess Bride, right? And people have told me before, not when I look ugly with a beard and a hat, that I kind of look like that other guy that I can't remember his name. And so let's just say we had this really great conversation, right, about the movie and about, you know, how I could have fought you and all these other things. And maybe he gives me a little trinket. Like, I don't know. That's not a real word, but maybe he gives me something. I don't know what it is. Just something that represents that I met him, okay? Um, oh, I have an, a better idea. Uh, Grant and my dad were in the airport uh, not too long ago, and they met, uh, why can't I ever remember his name? Murr from Impractical Jokers. You guys, Impractical Jokers? Yeah, right? Let's say, and they did talk to him, and that was really great. Probably it wasn't memorable enough for Murr to remember them, but who knows? But let's even say that Murr was like, dude, Grant, let's do a skit together in this airport and we'll have someone videotape it. And he's got that videotape for the rest of his life. Would you say that Grant has a relationship with Murr? Okay. I mean, Murr's gonna probably remember it, right? That one, ran I'm like, unless he just does that with everybody. That random guy that we did the skit with in the airport. For those of you who don't know Murr, he's like the biggest loser on Impractical Jokers, right? In my mind, he's the one that's like the butt of all the jokes, but he's really still pretty funny. Okay, whatever. Um, still, the point is that's not some kind of ongoing friendship or relationship that he has because most likely there's no reciprocity. He's not going to remember this. The point I'm trying to make, because, wow, uh, it's uh, a long point, is that when God puts his spirit in us, that ensures and guarantees there's an ongoing relationship we have with God. He knows us intimately, and he begins to reveal who he is to us. But often, it's very easy for us to treat our relationship with God like those first two. We've either got a trinket or a memory of a time with God, and our almost entire relationship is based on some time. And it might not have been a moment, it might have been an experience in our life or a time period when we were particularly close to him. And all of our knowledge of him rests on that time period. Or for some of us, even if we're honest, 
our relationship simply means we were exposed to a knowledge of God at some point, but never really had an ongoing relationship. We're sort of in the church, having had some interaction with God at some time, but certainly none of us would say, as uh, Jesus mentions in Matthew, that, Jesus, that God himself knows us. That's kind of scary to think about, but for most of us, we're somewhat content with that relationship staying with uh, you know, where it's at. But yet the whole idea of God sending his spirit is uh, recognizing that I want to know you and have an ongoing relationship with you. Uh, and I'm not going to make the whole comparison to a celebrity wanting to do that with us to God because I know there's just not, it's not the same kind of, um, although I won't lie to you, I have these daydreams sometimes and they're so embarrassing, but I've always had this long daydream that I would like meet someone incredibly famous and I would like share the gospel with them and I'd be like their gospel confidant. <laughs> Is that normal? Those are pastor's dreams. <laughs> and I like know the celebrity and people see me around with the celebrity and they're like, oh man, yeah, he's cool. <laughs> like, Whatever, man. It's just, you, your mind just weird things and just tells you all kinds of weird things. Uh, and that's what my mind does. So, the big question with that then is why for most of us does our experience with God seem sort of fleeting or ambiguous? If we're supposed to have this ongoing relationship with God that's somewhat tight and uh, where we are, you know, it, as much as a human can you know, reciprocate with God, you know, you understand I'm making these analogies so that we can understand this dynamic, but it certainly doesn't, you know, isn't completely the same at, you know, any level. Um, but we have this fleeting sense of God's presence. So what's going on? Uh, or, or, or maybe uh, in addition to that fleeting sense of God's presence, an ambiguity in who God is and how he works. You talk to people about, well, hey, what's God done in your life recently? And it's very easy to just pretty much point out good things, but to not really have a confidence in knowing, well, that's something that God did. And yet the spirit is in us, knows us, it's very clear from scripture that he works in and around our lives and through the lives of others. Why is it that we have a, such a tough time recognizing the spirit's activity or God's activity in us? And that's really what I want to talk about uh, today. And um, I just have a few ideas, okay, after that way too long intro. The common answer that I think we give people, and I, I do this myself all the time, is you just need to open up your eyes, right? You just need to be aware of God's presence around you. It sounds like a really good idea, and, and it is. I mean, it's a good piece of advice. But it kind of ignores the fact that awareness is absolutely impossible without some background knowledge or belief, and it's certainly impossible to maintain unless you trust the person that you're interacting with. So to give you an example of this, I can tell you, hey, come over here and look at the engine in my car and just be aware and you will learn. Just be aware of the parts in the engine and you will be fine, okay? And sometimes that's the kind of advice we're giving to each other when we say open up your eyes and be aware of God's activity. Uh, I learned in my first lesson with David on the piano yesterday. It was really fun. Thank you, David. I, I like that. I know, right? so sweet, right? He, he treated me like a little kid sometimes at points. He's like, now, is that the right button? You know, push up. <laughs> like, oh, dang, ready for the slap. But was an, a very effective teacher, and I liked it. But 
had he just said, now I want you to be aware of the keys here. Just sit and stare and be aware of the keys. I don't think my lesson would have been near as effective as it ended up being. So there's gotta be something more. And that's where this idea of belief and trust come in. And, and for our generation, uh, there's some things we really need to be uh, uh, aware of, okay? If we're gonna even understand what awareness ultimately is. Well, what is awareness? Well, aware awareness uh, from a, a you know, gospel perspective is simply seeing the reality for what it is. God's reality, which is the only reality. Now, in saying that, I think we often have a misguided next step or next statement, which is truth is always absolute. And I don't want to get too much into that argument, but sometimes we get confused the difference between reality and truth, okay? Uh, uh, truth can certainly, there are relative truths and situational truths and certain things like that. I'm not talking about that kind of truth. I'm simply talking about the kind of reality that says this is how life is. Most of us don't have a sense of that reality, right? The famous philosophy uh, example is everyone's got some piece of an elephant and they're like trying to you know, describe the whole animal by like just touching his leg. Um, of course, that is a weird argument because it assumes that someone actually knows that it's an entire elephant. And um, yeah, well, the reality in this situation is that the elephant is there and you may have a piece of it and you may see a piece of it but your reality isn't ultimately the reality. And so awareness is an understanding of reality, okay? And unlike my examples of the piano and the engine, no one can, you're never going to be able to rehearse awareness enough to get into that reality. You're never gonna be able to rehearse looking at an engine and finally figuring out uh, how it, it works. Now, in this case, you can learn on your own, okay? And you can finally figure it out and with knowledge and belief that, you know, the engine is actually real, you can begin to learn parts of it and that's going to be helpful. But with God, reality always has to be revealed to us, always. And this whole conversation about being aware to the spirits working is something a little bit like, well, if you'll just go out and do something and put enough effort in and rehearse this practice enough, you'll finally be aware of God's spirit. But guys, the problem for us is not that first. Awareness is an issue. The problem first for us is and always will be, have, has the spirit or this reality been revealed to us by God? Have we seen what he's trying to show us? Because being aware of something you don't know God is trying to show you is like looking at the engine and not having any training or lessons on how to figure it out. These things have to be revealed to us. And that's what the Spirit does, is the Spirit reveals to us these truths about reality, gives us reality. And we're out here just trying to kind of do our own deal and rehearsing things. Yeah, Debbie. Um, sure, I mean, the time is a, a part of that, but when we link effort to awareness only, we forget that no matter how much we work, and God is certainly gracious enough to sometimes reveal things to us that we didn't deserve and we didn't work for. That's a part of grace, right? So our work doesn't equate to how aware of a situation we're going to be. In fact, you can make the argument that Jesus makes with kids being revealed the truth, that it was actually their lack of work 
and their lack of understanding that allowed them to even be open enough to, to have the truth revealed to them, while the Pharisees in all of their learning and all of their wisdom failed to perceive the truths about God. So uh, I guess the, maybe the point seems sort of strange, but I, I guess the, the main thing that I'm saying is I've heard this a lot and I say this a lot to people. You just need to be aware of God working around you. The problem is, you got to move actually a little bit before that and recognize that you know awareness alone is a practice that can be empty like any practice. If you don't have the underlying belief and knowledge of what the Spirit does, how could you possibly be aware of His presence? Uh, that actually doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I want to talk about this a little bit more. And uh, so in Romans ten fourteen through fifteen. Um, Jesus, uh, excuse me, Paul, in talking about the church in Israel, just basically says, how can someone believe if no one's actually told them or preached to them or sent them the gospel or the good news? In uh, John 6, in verse 29, in a really kind of vexing passage, but also sort of a funny and ironic passage, Jesus, in talking to the Pharisees, tells them, that the work that you need to do, this is after they've asked, okay, wait, how do we do this whole, you know, they've seen the fish, the how do we kind of follow you? And he says, the work that you've got to do is believe. believe. Believing is the work, which is always a really vexing passage because belief is, seems very passive to us. Uh, awareness, practice, those things, that sounds like the work we ought to be doing. But belief sounds very passive. It sounds like something that I would just allow to happen uh, rather than something that I would proactively do. Of course, in a turn of events, right after that, the Pharisees, what do they ask? They say, well, just show us a miracle and then we'll believe. <laughs> Let me paraphrase that. Yeah, work sounds hard. Probably not. Just maybe show us something cool. Uh, and then we'll believe in, 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 instead. And so I, I've, I've kind of come to, to, I don't know, I'm not, this assertion may be really wrong, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Uh, in the kind of modern mindset that a lot of our boomers and the silent generation, the great generation, a lot of them were kind of given beliefs. And their bigger deal in life in terms of Christianity was trying to trust, okay, that those beliefs were real, trying to actually trust God, trying to attain that position in life where they weren't just falling back on their belief and, and not putting it into practice. Because belief and practice is always trust in God. Millennials have, I think, a much different problem. Many of, of your problems, my problems, I, I sometimes, like I said, I kind of count myself as a millennial, I'm right on the line, is we don't actually have very many beliefs, but we have this deep desire to trust God because we want to experience God. We want to know he's there. We want concrete proof that God does work, but it's not so much proof in the rational sense of a philosophy or a belief system as much as it is in an experience of I feel I can attest to him working in my life. Well, both ways of thinking are, are incomplete because trust with no belief um, is incredibly problematic because how is it possible for you, if you're just looking to trust someone, imagine David coming and teaching you about cars. You're not gonna learn very much, right, David? Or me coming and teaching you about piano. It's not gonna work, okay? It's just not going to work, and yet we treat God like that sometimes. We expect the Spirit, we expect experiences, we want uh, you know, this, the Spirit to work in our life in certain ways, 
yet we don't even have the proper prerequisite beliefs to know how the Spirit works. So we're trusting the Spirit to do things that He never said He was going to do. No wonder we're so confused. It's the opposite problem, ultimately. Uh, But we don't have a lot of those underlying beliefs that our parents had. We just don't. We've been too exposed to non-Christian beliefs. We've been too exposed to culture, the, the waning in influence of the church. But guys, as young people, many of us need to go back to forming beliefs about how the Spirit of God works in our lives. And it's from those beliefs that we will become aware of the Spirit's working. Not from the awareness. We're not going to just wake up one day and decide, okay, we're going to really work to be aware of what the Spirit is doing. When you can't answer the question, well, what do you believe about the Spirit's role in our life in any way that makes sense, no matter how much you're trusting or expecting the Spirit to work, you're never going to see it. You're never going to recognize it. It's always going to be, I don't know, maybe that's God working, maybe it's not. And you lose the very purpose of the Spirit in your life, which was testifying to your fellowship with God. So we got to start with belief. And well, how do we do that? Well, certainly we listen to each other. Some of it's just that ignorance of the word we talked about. We just don't know what's in the scripture in any way that's meaningful and, and wrote. It's not really been written on our hearts. At least the words of scripture have it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you guys don't understand the word of God. I am not Baptist, okay? I am not, I am not literalist, fundamentalist, thinking that every word that the scripture speaks is the word of God. The word of God is bigger than the Bible. It's certainly that's our best, most reliable source for it. But the Spirit speaks through us, speaks through churches, speaks through all kinds of different institutions. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot there that I think you can probably disagree with me on. And that's great. We can just disagree with each other. But in order to have you know, proper beliefs about what God is doing and, and who the Spirit is, we've got to get back to what are those beliefs we ought to have about the, the Spirit? And, uh, and what is he actually doing? And so we've got we've to back up from just the, uh, the awareness thing. Matthew eleven sixteen through 19, uh, Jesus talks about this fickle part of our personality when he uh, says, talking about the Pharisees and the scribes, you know, they say, hey, we played a flute and you didn't dance. We played a dirge and, you know, you didn't cry or mourn. And this idea that society is so fickle in what it expects, that it doesn't actually make much sense. And he's, he's chiding them for this. He's saying, you know, Ultimately, what's going to be proven true, and and this is where this famous line comes in that I love so much, wisdom is proved right by her deeds. You have all of these misguided beliefs and knowledge of the world and, and, you know, expectations, but your expectations aren't based really in reality. They're based in whatever you're feeling or thinking at any time. And many of us, we have this wonderful expectation that we're going to trust God and we're going to experience him but we're not ultimately very willing, or maybe we just don't know that the first part of that process is having a set belief system that we're engaging in and that we're developing that actually guides us where we ought to be aware of God's working. And so we're missing that a lot of times. Um, It's lowest common denominator thinking, LCD thinking. Lowest common denominator has been a political term for a long time, which basically just means political candidates will sort of target the dumbest people who can just sort of believe just about anything and give them just enough to get them thinking about stuff. Well, that's what we're doing ultimately when we really don't, we're not faithful to the process of of learning, believing things, and then trusting God and doing that over and over again. 
our desire to trust God without our ability to really develop a belief system that centers around who God really is as expressed in the scripture is an inability to be faithful to the process of that. And the outcome will never be being aware of God. No matter how hard you try and no matter how much you talk about what God is doing, (laughs) it won't happen because it's not really faithful to the process of reality. Starts with a knowledge of who God is and a belief and then we become aware and we can trust him through this constant use. Uh, So, you know, why does this happen? Particularly when we get older, what, what's exactly happening here? There's a lot of things. I don't really want to talk about them. I kind of want to skip because I'm already going too long um, down to, you know, sort of where do we go from here. But guys, as you get older, this happens. Uh, your belief system gets challenged. One of the things that I see a lot in academic study in particular is you just get beat over the head so much with so many different ideas. And there's a really wonderful quote that comes from C.S. Lewis. And I cannot remember what it is, but it basically is the enemy of... Um, Oh, no, it's Hannah Ardent, uh, the, the lady that write, wrote The Banality of Evil. I'm terrible with quotes, you know? That's terrible preaching on my part. should have wrote this quote down, but I didn't. But basically, she just says something along the lines of um, when you um, are told certain truths, okay, and you believe them and then they're found to be true, it, people don't just go and, and when, and, oh, I'm going to butcher it. I can't keep going because I'm just really going to butcher it. But let me just make my point without her quote, okay? Uh, Even though she says it way better and look up the quote, okay? That's all I'm going to say to you. Her name is Hannah Ardent, H-A-N-N-A-H, last name A-R-E-N-D-T. She's the one that wrote the famous book, Banality of Evil, where she uh, followed the court case of one of the highest Nazi officers over concentration camps and kind of came to the conclusion. I've mentioned this before in my uh, sermons, but that uh, the worst kinds of evil aren't the absolute terrible evil stuff. It's the banality of evil. It's the mundane evil, the evil that people just accept as routine uh, and are done kind of on a large scale. Certainly see applies to a lot of the social issues that we're dealing with today. Um, but the point uh, of this is that, um, you know, one of our biggest problems in learning so much has been that we just don't trust anything anymore. It's not that we've, you know, decided to be so biased in one area. It's that we just don't trust anything. We kind of just don't ultimately trust much of anything. And so the older we get, the more things we learn. I see this again in my classes. People will learn all these different perspectives, and then they come out with this very relativistic, well, I guess we can't just trust any denomination. They're all bad. They're all different than me. Um, not, not quite the best uh, approach, but that happens, I think, as we get older. Certainly ideas, we get crowded out. A lot of our beliefs get crowded out by other ideas. Guys, a, a lot of millennials are just suspicious of non-experiential truth. Let's just be honest about that. You might not know this and you might not realize it, but many of us just don't pay attention much anymore to institutional ways of thinking, meaning things that have been passed down to us through tradition and through larger, smarter organizations than us. If we cannot experience it in our own individual lives, we can't verify its accuracy or truth. That's a huge problem and gives us a huge blind spot as young people. Because, you know, number one, that doesn't make any sense. But number two, uh, you know, that's certainly not how people have lived. But of course, in a super individualistic society, that makes sense because, you know, then we can just sort of create our reality for us. Uh, another one which N.T. Wright calls practical atheism, that if we're honest, most days, I don't think practical atheism is fair. It's probably practical agnosticism. 
It's more that most days in most activities, we just sort of live without an awareness of God. Uh, it's just a cultural thing. We just do that. And it takes a lot of thought to be able to, uh, to get outside of that and, and certainly lack of study. So how can we be aware or identify um, uh, these areas of our lives that really need, uh, uh, you know, sort of belief? Uh, well, that's not the best question. I think the best question is we just ought to start looking at our consumption of Scripture. When we read Scripture, do we really believe the things that are coming out of Scripture? This is actually our fundamental issue. We read a lot of Scripture and simply don't believe it. We may have even memorized it, but literally, we just don't believe it. We, you'll read it, you'll hear it, you'll think about it. And unlike generations before who kind of just assumed, yeah, we generally believe that, we just kind of don't believe it. And that's not a problem, guys. It's, it's not an issue. Unbelief in Scripture is always something that the Spirit wants to work in. But what is a problem is when our unbelief goes unrecognized and we just sort of ignore it and move on as if it's not really that important that we grow in our belief of this in the first place. You can't possibly do this whole thing of living by the Spirit unless you start with just a basic belief of what the Spirit does. And you just start with that and you move out from there. So I want to give you two passages that I really want you to kind of pick one and challenge yourself this week uh, to gauge your belief in, okay? And I'm going to give you also another passage that uh, I think encourages you uh, to kind of move forward in this. I don't have these because I don't have my phone with me, but uh, Psalm 139. Someone will read that one. We're going to read just, just verses 1 through 7. And these are, I picked two passages about the uh, Spirit that I think are pretty hard to believe. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's kind of like, whoa, the implications of actually believing this are really life-changing. One of the things we'll talk about in our series next semester is a really wonderful idea that uh, I heard from Daryl Johnson, the, the uh, Presbyterian Baptist guy that uh, is doing this preaching deal. And he just talks about the word of God is always performative, meaning that it, hearing the word and putting it into practice always changes us. The word itself is God's interacting with us and changes us. It's not that we, we go and do activity based on it. It's that it, the word itself actually changes us. And we'll talk about a little bit of that later on. He uses this really wonderful uh, example in Ezekiel of the dry bones being prophesied to and then waking up. Um, but anyway, yeah, later on. Someone have Psalm 139? Yeah, go for it. One through seven, just one through seven. And I assure you in this context, David is not just talking about some specific relationship he has with God. If you read the entire passage, uh, that'll make sense to you. This is a purest and most simple definition of what it means to have the Spirit of God in our lives. He knows every single thing about us. And not in some kind of like the formulas of our chemistry and biology, but our personality, how we've developed, our experiences. Knows more about us than we know about ourselves. 
And what does that mean? If I really believe that, that's going to just absolutely fundamentally change how I interact with God. It just does. And that's what I mean by the, the idea that, you know, if we really want to be aware of what God is doing, we've got to have these beliefs, at least these, this knowledge, because knowledge, belief can grow out of knowledge as we practice, we trust, we see it to be true. It obviously doesn't just start off as belief, or if it does, it starts off as pretty weak belief. It starts off as just knowledge. And the knowledge is, okay, I've heard this. Let's see if this can be proven true through my interaction and my trust with God. And Jesus is very open about that. It's one of the things that I think Christianity is so inviting. John, uh, Jesus in John 7 just basically says, you want to know if my word's coming from me or if I'm just here on my own doing my own deal? Do my will, see what happens. It's this very weird trial and error passage. And I encourage you to go back and think through that or see it as, you want to see? You want to learn how to trust me? Go out and do it. But in order to do it, you've got to know what it is in the first place and at some level believe uh, that this is at least a worthwhile endeavor to go out and do. So the second passage, and this one's even more complicated, and I'd encourage you just to pick one of these and meditate and reflect on it this week and really ask yourself the question, do I believe this? Okay. Uh, and at what level am I <laughs> in terms of my belief in this? Because certainly our belief grows as we trust and then we believe more and we trust more. And I want to open up um, uh, kind of an example in a second just of, of how we grow in our actual trust of God. Second passage is 1 Corinthians 2, and it's 6 to 13. So 1 Corinthians 2. And if someone will read just 6 through 13. Um, so one of those two passages this next week, uh, if you want to try to apply or even understand what this rambling series of thoughts have been, um, then I say you go and read one of those passages and attempt to try to gauge your own belief, your own understanding uh, of these things and how much you've tried to apply these. I know in my own life over the years, and you know, th these whole weekly activities, I think in some ways are more just a chance to see from week to week what kind of effort is uh, placed into responding to these, these uh, things that God teaches us. And that really is a, what faith is about. It's about responding first to the revelation. The activity, the work, all that stuff comes in response to the response. But the first response is always, do I believe this? Is this true? Um, a true, um, I guess, sort of self-test of, of whether this is something that I really try to live by or not. One of the things I've noticed over the years um, 
and uh, I'm terrible at submitting to authority, any authority. I just got a terribly arrogant, overconfident uh, brain, and um, one of the things that the Spirit has really taught me over the years is uh, more so than even just reading Scripture, uh, the Spirit of God has spoken to me through people who have revealed things to me about myself that I would have never figured out on my own. And I'm not just talking about that I like, you know, Chelsea told me last night that I have a three-second delay in my laugh, okay? I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I mean, that's important, and I like that. That's funny. And, you know, that's one of the great things about being married is your wife both knows, or husband or whatever, uh, knows the small and significant stuff that you do that you've never uh, noticed, but more importantly, the bigger stuff about who you are uh, that you've never noticed, things that can unlock new doors for you and new paths. But that's what the Spirit's doing. If I'm really willing to listen to and believe the idea that God knows me, ongoing knows me more than I know myself, then I'm going to be really pretty receptive to hearing pretty anybody tell me things about myself that I don't really know. And I mean, certainly it requires discerning. I mean, you know, I once had... <laughs> Uh, of personality, t Taylor Johnson temperament test. And, and we got to be really careful with this, by the way, okay? Because some of us are particularly susceptible to believing things about ourselves that aren't true. So this requires a lot of discerning. But anyway, for those of you who've done the premarital counseling or you've heard of the Taylor Johnson temperament test, well, let's just say one of the counselors mixed up my Taylor Johnson temperament test with someone else, gave me the results. And I remember going back and thinking like, I was trying to like talk it over at Chelsea. And I'm like, I guess I'm like that. Thankfully, the person they gave me was way more sane than I was. Uh, so it was a little bit easier to kind of hope that that was actually who I was. Um, but I just found myself, you know, in, this, in his career, it's never done this. Okay? It was the only time ever. But I found myself trying to, like, adapt who I thought I was to this reality. In this case, it was not the reality, okay? So that's why we have to be very careful. Um, but that's about like you self-assessing yourself a lot of days. It's basically like just been given the wrong personality test, and you're kind of like, yeah, that's who I really am. And the Spirit's over here saying, that's not who I created you to be. That may be who you are now, but your, your perception of yourself is just as wrong as if I gave you the wrong temperament test. Um, and so if we really believe that, that's going to change a lot how we expect the Spirit to speak into our lives and into our personality. And so that's, that's pretty cool stuff. So we got to set up, uh, I think, uh, ourselves to really trust God. Um, we can't, we got to move beyond just the expectation that we're going to, you know, and want and the desire. We've got to set ourselves up to trust God. And there's no way to do that without first knowing what it is we ought to be believing in the first place, right? I believe that the Spirit's going to do this because I have a good source because the Scripture tells me that. So I'm going to set myself up to trust God this week. Now, I, I think the setting yourself up can quickly become a test. And I don't know where I'm at on testing God, um, seems like the scripture says, yeah, sometimes, sometimes no. Um, but maybe I'll just throw it out as possibly a decent, uh, you know, opportunity for you this week to say, you know what? Maybe if you take the Psalm 139 passage, God, will you through your spirit reveal something to me about myself that really shows that you, this uh, scripture is true in my life? Uh, will you speak to me in a spiritual word that I couldn't have gotten without an understanding from the spirit? You gotta set yourself up for trust like that. Because otherwise, how do we trust God? Uh, and maybe that's not the best way to do that. And maybe the, this whole idea of like the short-term kind of stuff, this is really much more of a long-term thing that I'm trying to uh, reduce into a weekly activity. Because why not? That's practical. Um, 
And uh, yeah, but anyway, I think you should pick one of these scriptures and go back. Maybe you've got another one actually uh, that speaks about what the, the Spirit does in our life and begin to, uh, to start gauging your own belief about this if you're going to be aware of some of the things that we've talked about. Um, all right, well, uh, that pretty much ends that. I'm going to say a prayer for our communion time. If you are, are new to how we do communion around here, uh, we're just kind of loud. We like to celebrate, literally be loud, which is the best way to celebrate. Uh, in my mind, and uh, throughout the room, there'll be uh, the uh, bread and the juice, and you just kind of get in line and dip the bread into the juice, and uh, we'll go from there. We'll come back together, sing some songs, and then we'll, uh, we'll just uh, hang out and talk. Lord God, thank you for uh, your infinite grace for us. Thank you that you would choose to do things the way you've done. You would send your spirit who knows you and knows us. What a perfect setup. Lord, help us to, um, to truly believe the things that we um, have been talking about here. That you would grow us in our faith. That we would have opportunities to trust you. That we would set ourselves up uh, to have opportunities to trust you. Lord, we want to be a people in a church that... Uh, that really does hear from you. And whether that's a strong message about some direction we ought to head in individually, communally, whatever, we just want to be pretty in tune with, um, with what the Spirit is doing uh, in our midst. We just thank you, Lord, for uh, providing that deposit, that guarantee uh, of the things to come, that passage that we can't even prepare to understand or recognize what you have prepared for us uh, is beyond our imagination and understanding. So thank you for giving us a glimpse and a taste of that now. Uh, Lord, help us in our um, attempt to, to just regain a hold of Scripture and to understand it, uh, that you would help us get past some of just the obstacles in our way, our attention span, our need for entertainment, uh, whatever it is, um, that you would just give us um, just a fresh passion for reading the word and really understanding it, that we would put it into uh, a language that speaks the good news to our culture and to us, and that we would understand it very clearly as you intended. We love you, Jesus, and uh, we do this all in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.